You're listening to The One Room with a View Show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View Show with myself, Christopher Preston, and a disciple of the Lord of Misrule. It's Mr. Dan Orton. Thank you. No problem at all. So, number two in the Summer Trilogy, Dan? Yes. So, as anyone who's listened to the previous episode, our previous Summer Special, will know that we've rejigged the schedule somewhat. And in light of the sad passing of Sir Christopher Lee, this episode is a is a retrospective, a tribute to all things Lee. A dedication um, of sorts. A dedication of, of sorts to the great man and his uh, career in film. We are focusing on his film career. I mean, the man has many other strings to his bow, but we, obviously we are a film podcast, so we're focusing on films. Four films specifically. Or Imagine four, that. How have we done it, Dan? I don't know. How could we boil a life's work? We did. I mean, he's he has done over 200 films, near nearly 300 film credits, according mm. to IMDb. I was reading something that he hasn't really left us because he's got so many films <laughs> yes. left to come out, yeah. which is um, marvellous. Yeah, so we, we managed to distill a career spanning six decades yeah. into four, we've described them, I think, as iconic roles. Mm. Christopher, so Christopher Lee's iconic... Personal to us, though, I think, in yes, many ways, the, yeah, apart from few, one. A few sort of very important choices that we had to, you know, they have to be, and we have to talk about these particular roles mm. um, for our own personal reasons. So Christopher Lee as well as Sir Christopher Lee is an important figure in terms of our mythology of sorts though Dan. <laughs> He's certainly a character that we have come back to time and time again both yes. in the film radio yeah, show yeah. and the podcast. Yeah, I remember mentioning in our uh, Jurassic special of last month that we were almost like his Twitter page back in our <laughs> radio I days. I mean I've always been a huge fan and we'll talk more about that with the first role we're going to discuss. If anyone read my piece for One Room of a View please website, yeah. you, I mean, please do if you want, if you fancy it's reading It's a very it, elegant a, personal eulogy. Thank you. Yeah, and, I, and I talk about how I read his autobiography at the age of 15 whilst on a family holiday. Probably the only 15-year-old to ever do that. <laughs> you know, you know, whilst my, I think whilst I can tell are... you that now. I think I can tell you, <laughs> guarantee you, that you're the yes, only 15-year-old whilst my steps, Whilst my sisters were out sunbathing on the sun lounges and, and swimming in the pool, I was sat in the shade reading <laughs> about Sir Christopher Lee's exploits during World War II. And we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I just wanted to do a quick run-through of some of the things he's achieved in his life. I know we've mentioned the, the almost 300 film credits. So in 2001, he was made a CBE for Service to Drama. In 2005, he was named the world's most marketable star. I think three of his films in the past few years before that had managed to gross something like $640 million. I suppose because that's Lord um, of the Rings well, Lord the of the Wars. Rings, the Star Wars films, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was knighted in 2009, finally. I was going to say, as late as that. And then 2010 was awarded the Spirit of Metal Awards. Award really? By that genre of music. You preside award. over that, though, don't you? Yes, yes. I, <laughs> I think I, that's I, why. Head judge. Why, why are we giving um, Christopher Lee this? <laughs> <laughs> he wonderfully described himself at that award ceremony as, as a young man right at the beginning of his career. That's nice. Of, of, um, of metal music. And then, of course... 2011 was awarded the BAFTA Fellowship. Which we um, covered in our BAFTA special back yes. in the day, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, should we crack on? I think we should. We've got four films spanning over well, years and me, years and years. years. So let the tribute begin. This night, the land will be stained with the blood of Rohan. March to hell's deep. Leave none alive. There will be no door for men. 
So firstly, Dan, we're going to look at the films that are most personal to us in some ways. It was yes. our introduction to Sir yeah. Christopher Lee. I wanted to start with this role, this um, the role of Saruman in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and, and now and the Hobbit trilogy as well. So Saruman is a role that Christopher Lee played from 2001 right up until last year. and Literally about seven months ago, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, yeah, it came out at Christmas. Yeah. Christmas 2014. And it was, for me, and I think for you as well, our introduction. Absolutely. As 11-year-olds, as 10-year-olds. I think so too. I think it's certainly the first time I can ever remember. I, I do have a very stark vision of childhood and remembering like Christopher Lee as Dracula. In the, You see it on Halloween and things like that, but I'd never seen that yes. film. And yeah, so yeah. Lord of the Rings certainly presented me the actor Christopher Lee rather than perhaps the logo or the image of Christopher yes, Lee. Yes, I think, I mean, he's such a he's such a huge icon of popular culture. Yeah, well, he has been it, for so, it? Yeah. So, so, so long that I think it would be, I mean, yes, we definitely would have seen him in our peripheral vision. Mm. But The Fellowship of the Ring, when that came out in 2001, was mine and, and, and our, our first experience. Yeah, it was the of, handshake. Yeah, it's like this is our introduction to the great actor that Sir Christopher Lee was um, mm. in this wonderful role, which actually, looking back, is actually kind of, was was the perfect casting. You know, who else could play Saruman? There are sort of shades of his other roles. His sort of iconic, you know, of course, Dracula is going to be cast as as Saruman. I mean, it was funny that I was reading something recently. It was almost certainly a eulogy or a retrospective of sorts on Sir Christopher Lee, and they were saying about how Saruman was the role that rebooted him. And I was thinking, it's just not true. I think it was more <laughs> another introduction to another generation. Well, yes, it certainly introduced him to a whole new generation of filmgoers. I mean, his career had been, you know, he, he, I don't think he was out of work for any year at all from sort of like, I don't know, maybe 1960 onwards. Mm. But yes, but certainly, I wouldn't say rebooted. Certainly, I think maybe gave it new life. Yeah. I think he certainly, I mean, obviously, post-2001, you had, you had Lord of the Rings. You then had the Star Wars prequel, the last two films of that trilogy. And I just I just found it funny that it was like a reboot, because I think if you look up his <laughs> filmography on Wikipedia, I don't think I have enough internet data to read through. <laughs> yes. But let's let's talk about Saruman and his performance as that role. Have you you've read the books, haven't you? Read I read the books. Um, I read the books um, when I was about every, every time, once every year. He well, that was my favourite fact about it. I read, I found that out much later. In fact, I think you told me in one of the early radio shows mm. that so Christopher Lee, I think at the time of filming, was the only cast member ever to have read the Lord of the Rings when they first Possibly, started yes. filming. He certainly it. is. He certainly is the only member of the of the entire team to have met Tolkien personally. Because mm, um, and I know that he because he was a champion of it right before there was even yes. a suggestion of him playing Saruman. He, he, always, he always wanted to play Gandalf. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. But then, of course, by the time they got around to making the film, he was too old for any more of the sort of the more physically demanding traits of that character. Yeah. Despite the fact um, he the, the acrobatic sequence in the most recent <laughs> Hobbit yes. film yeah. suggests otherwise. But, but he, is a, he is the perfect Saruman. Absolutely. I think that Lord of the Rings got a lot of right in terms of general casting anyway. Like, mm. I'd love to have seen my 10, 11-year-old self when The Fellowship of the Ring came out because it's very easy to forget how iconic everything is because mm. it's almost just expected. Like, the little taints of music, Saruman's entrance three-quarters of an hour in, the dialogue, the interaction with uh, McKellen's Gandalf, for yes. example. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to watch and just so perfect. I think a lot of that comes from, uh, down from the casting. I think it comes down from getting people like Saruman, the iconicness of Saruman, co- absolutely correct. So credit to Peter Jackson in that way. Yeah, I mean, the casting is spot on. And he portrays that sort of initial... And he portrays that uh, the initial sort of wisdom of the character and the benevolence of Saruman as this wise and, and good wizard. Um, who, and Gandalf even describes it. And then, and then you see... I mean, but of course... 
I don't know, when, the moment he's on screen, I think you always feel, I remember as a, as a 10-year-old, seeing it thinking, well, he can't be trusted. Well, your haunches you go know, up, don't you? Even and I if don't you know... weren't familiar with Christopher Lee's back catalogue, you must think, no, he... It's the eyebrows. He's not playing a good... It's the Peter Capaldi eyebrows. <laughs> it's, I, there is something transcendent about his wickedness. In the same way that the antelope doesn't trust the lion, there is something ingrained in our DNA, in cinematic DNA. Don't you yes. trust Sir Christopher Lee? Yeah. And you're right, he's, he's too pure yes. white. And that moment when he just sits down on his, on his throne, throne, essentially, and says... <laughs> You know, the uh, the nine have crossed the River Isen. They will yeah. find the one who carries it, and they'll kill him. <laughs> I, I, um, I've written down, actually, the very first line of dialogue that Saruman oh, yeah. uh, utters. As you hear, you hear him before you see him. Absolutely, because there's a the sweeping shot, isn't yeah. there? Like the panoramic of Gandalf yes, yeah. riding in, and it says, Smoke rises from the Mountain of Doom. The hour grows late, and Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard, seeking my counsel. For that is why you have come, is it not? My old friend. <laughs> and it's just like from that moment, even the masquerade of yeah. friendship and goodness and purity is completely obliterated with one quirk of the eyebrow and yeah. the and that poisonous my old friend. Yeah, not, something's up. Something's up. <laughs> something's, something's not up. quite right. Plus, he lives in a he lives in this black tower. <laughs> <laughs> he lives at the very summit of a, of a black tower. <laughs> And those um, nails, like, I mean, he, he should have been Wolverine with them. <laughs> when he's, like, uh, caressing Mystic Meg's orb. Oh, the Plantier, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. Why didn't no. they think, Dan? Why yeah, did Gandalf should have known. He should have known. Hang on a minute, Saruman's Christopher Lee. And the thing about... <laughs> <laughs> and, the other, and the other thing about Saruman as well is Gandalf the Grey is one of those characters in the same way Dumbledore is. Mm. That you look at him, he's got the long grey hair, and there is something wise and all-knowing and omnipotent about Gandalf the Grey. He looks like a frightened schoolchild next to Saruman, and it's terrifying even in that way that Gandalf, mm. the man that everyone trusts, Gandalf who's always going to come back who's always going to save the day, who's always got something to say, who's always got uh, that small little trivial piece of knowledge that actually ends up saving everyone. And even he it looks bedraggled and greasy and clueless in yes. the wake of Saruman. Yeah. So Christopher Lee does that in most films. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the man physically towers over everyone anyway, and he, and he sort of physically and perhaps... Vocally. Vocally. <laughs> Which is something um, that we'll speak about. He's got the perfect Saruman voice. Christopher Lee's voice is, is perfect, and it's so. In some ways, it's so sad that yet yeah, the tragedy of losing him as a man and him as an actor. But to know that we'll never hear that iconic voice mm. bellowing through, well, just these saying films, anything, yeah. is, is a deep, deep shame. So, of course, I mean, he he then his role is expanded in the Two Towers, and he really is. I mean, he is by the lack of having Sauron as a physical character, mm. um, you have to. It all rests on Saruman as the sort of human embodiment of evil in these films. And yeah. I think Peter Jackson is very aware of that. And Saruman was so important to the selling of, of the, the dark side in this film. Because Saruman is this big eye. It's not eye yeah. you know, it's not, it can't do much. And then you've, you've got Christopher Lee essentially carrying and representing the physical form of evil in these films. And the two towers, it comes to, he's even better. And I mean, he can drop the charade of being good. Mm. And he's building, you know, building the army of Uruk-hai. And without a hesitate, without a, you know, without a second thought, sends out wags to go and eat children as they're going, <laughs> or going on their way to Yeah, the King Herod of Middle-earth. <laughs> Another arch of the eyebrow, I think, in the film. When, Always, when, those when, eyebrows. When Wormtongue tells him that. <laughs> I think the thing about Christopher, Sir Christopher Lee is the... With the Lord of the Rings, they came out at the same time the Harry Potter started coming out. And people always mm. said, like, the Harry Potter films were usually levelled at, like, 
children and there was always more edge to the Lord of the Rings in the same way that you know there's like the Marvel DC debate yes, now yeah, and people yeah. say like the Marvel films I think Ben Affleck called them glib in a recent interview <laughs> whereas the DC films go for more edge and grit yeah I think the Lord of the Rings allows Christopher Lee to be able to show off his many acting muscles in Saruman he is righteous but for the wrong cause I don't think he he descends into those there is something pantomime about him I think but at the same time he isn't just one of those cliched villains for villains sake yes. and I thought that was quite nice you know I'm not a huge fan of the Hobbit films, but there was still that nice that they integrated that corruption of him. He's not mm. always been bad. No, I think he does a wonderful job of portraying Saruman as a... Multifaceted uh, villain. Uh, yeah, multi- and, and good in the Hobbit films. To be, you know, in, that, in, that, in that one scene he's in, mm. in the first part, The Unexpected Journey, he, he is, he's righteous, as you say, and he's perhaps a little bit, you know, a bit, but a bit uppity and... and uh, but I, but he isn't he isn't bad at this point. No, and even yeah. though that they even though they pull off the veil of goodness in the Fellowship of the Rings within like five minutes of introducing him, I love that the first interaction between Saruman and Gandalf in that film is Saruman lecturing Gandalf like an anti drug lecture. Yes. Like you've been chewing on the herb well, yes. again and it's <laughs> addled your mind. Like I love that even that comes up. It's not yeah. just this cackling maniacal villain. He's also he's time to be all pious. He's he's at Middle Earth's talk to Frank <laughs> yeah the like, disapproving adult in this sort of party of children yeah teenagers who turns to genocide as the naughty step <laughs> well I mean he's only doing what we're all thinking <laughs> so in summary then I mean like I said, Saruman is an important part in our in our sort of look back our retrospective of Sir, of Sir Christopher Lee's career because that is the first time we see, we saw him on screen mm. on the big screen in cinema yeah and just how a what a pivotal role like, I love Lord of the Rings and you love yes. Lord of the Rings in the story and I do still think a lot of that comes from the sapling of Saruman growing throughout all of them and even as much as I have chastised the Hobbit for mm. for its mere existence it still gave us that wonderful opportunity yes. and window to kind of say goodbye in some ways to the person that brought it all yeah. up for us I mean I've always you know I'd, I've always been more interested by the villainous characters anyway which probably was why I had such an affinity with Christopher Lee in these films mm. and with Saruman because they're, they're always interesting characters um, and I think he probably enjoyed playing villains like that definitely um, for he made that a career out of it yeah. I just want to share my one of my favourite anecdotes about The Lord of the Rings before we close on this section and it ties in with the missing scene and the theatrical cut of The Return of the King where Saruman's, uh, Saruman is killed by Wormtongue. He's stabbed in the back. When they were filming that scene, Peter Jackson was directing him and saying, look, Christopher, this is the sound you need to make. So the knife's going to go in and you need to make this sound. And <laughs> so Christopher turned to him and said, Peter, have you ever heard the sound a man makes when he's stabbed in the back? Because I have. I think I know. <laughs> and he's like, I don't need your direction on this game. I just think that's amazing. That he, he Do you think that's why Peter Jackson stabbed him in the back about cutting him out afterwards? <laughs> Perhaps. That'll, that'll learn him. <laughs> this is how it feels, etu brute. So before we finish uh, The Lord of the Rings, Bob Stan, mm. I know what you're going to say, because it's exactly uh, what I'm going to say. Shall I do it as a, as a trilogy? Let's do it as a trilogy. Well, it's a yes. five-bob trilogy. Absolutely. Um, and a five-bob performance. Yeah, just a stand. You are an ignorant fool. I have fought for your mother, your sister, your children's children to live in dignity. Islam doesn't need fanatics like you. Islam needs men of vision who will build the country. Now grow up! And serve Pakistan.
Now we're moving on to what I imagine would have been Sir Christopher Lee's choice in this retrospective <laughs> for reasons that I know you'll introduce us to. We're going to be yes. talking about 1998's Jinnah. Yes, yes, the, the biopic of uh, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, who was the founder of Pakistan. Yeah, the father of. Yeah, and, and yes, the father of Pakistan, uh, modern Pakistan as we know it. Sir Christopher Lee has always described this, this character's role as his most important. And he said uh, there was an interview with him, again I was reading in preparation for this podcast, that he said this is his best work. Out of everything he's ever done, Jinnah contains his best work. Yes, he's, yes, he's most proud of his entire... I mean, and it's a, quite a hefty catalogue, back catalogue, but he is most proud of this performance. And I'd never seen it before we'd got... I mean, I'd read about it, and I think I saw the trailer, and it was a real joy to visit for the first time a film that he held in such high regard. Mm. And it really is a, a, a gem of a film. And yes, it is a, it's a stupendous performance from an actor who, by 1998, I think, had sort of finally shed the shackles of his horror background and was being given the chance to do these slightly different roles. Deeper roles, Deeper really. roles. And he brings... I mean, this is... I mean, it is, it is a great performance. There is and it's a shame. It's a real shame that Jinnah didn't get a, a wider release, a wide, you know, wider notice from the world of cinema, the world in general. I'd never even heard of it, if I'm being completely honest with you. The first introduction I'd had of Jinnah was you telling me, let's watch this film, this is what Sir Christopher Lee said about it. I'd never heard of it, I don't think I'd read about it, I had no knowledge of it. My image of Jinnah was of the man himself, <laughs> and my knowledge of the history of that time, yes. rather than any of this film. And you're right, Christopher Lee's performance in it is, is pure gravitas. It reminded me a lot of Lincoln, the recent Steven Spielberg yes. uh, biopic. Yeah, I can see. Except yeah. a lot better. <laughs> well, yes, not as meandering. I wish... Spielberg had seen this film in preparation for Lincoln because it, it really shows how to make an endearing biopic of a political figure without making it overly sycophantic. And whereas there is parts of the mythology of Jinnah and mm. respect and reverence for the man he was, it's clearly a pro-Jinnah film. Yes, I don't definitely. think it's as saccharine as the Lincoln film was where it's so... No, no, it, it seems very objective. It's it, not, for the not, most part. not obsessed with portraying the icon. It portrays the man. Mm. Because Jinnah, the Stannis Baratheon of, of that area <laughs> and of that time... I mean, he was a... Because he's not always the most likeable character. Certainly not. Uh, and, and figure. And, and, and even they show very... Gandhi, don't they? And they kind of put them two in the same <laughs> yes, room, yeah, even yeah. in the film. He's very belligerent. But he's Jinnah was very... Um, righteous. Right, righteous. Even again. like Saruman, yeah, yeah. he is a righteous man. But not, but not a despot. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not. Not prone to genocide. No. And, um, you know, he's, he, he feels he's full of guilt at what some of his decisions and impact some of his decisions have on normal civilian life, Muslim, Muslim Indians at the time. It's a great role and it's a fascinating story in, our, in world history, I think. And not one I knew much about before watching the film. And that's why I think it's such a sadness that this is, you almost have to perform a cinematic archaeological dig to find this film. Yes. It's not readily available. I don't know if it even got a cinema release. I I'm not sure it I did. I could find barely any information about it. And it is sad. There are a couple of John Williams bugles that kind of, again, share the similarities of Lincoln. But overall, it's, it's, a, it's a charming film to watch and thoroughly interesting. And it teaches but doesn't preach yeah. at the same time. I didn't feel like it was trying to radicalise me or bring me over to the cause or even really give excuse for some of the atrocities that happened. It was a man with a hell of a lot of power and responsibility on his shoulders and the impact of that. I actually thought it was a very clever film in that there are many political bio, uh, biopics, there are many biopics in general, yes. and they always seem to be 
um, screen versions of the biography that maybe it was taken from the book, etc. Whereas this one goes down the novel of approach of almost like a Christmas Carol s. It is. It, I love the the structure and the and and the way they've they build this story. Yeah. Uh, for 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 the listener, it's it starts with him about to die, and he then passes into. We see old Jinnah passing into this sort of like purgatory. Like, yeah. But it's represented as this kind of a waiting room, a, a sort of... Uh, it's just pro- a huge library, yes, isn't it? And, and they've lost the books and the computers you know, full don't of, work. Yes, yeah, so full, full of these admin staff who are trying to sort of process him, his death. Mm. <laughs> it's sort of one, the wonderful bureaucracy of the afterlife. Yeah. Which isn't an original idea, but works very effectively in this case. And, I, and then and it goes... They're trying to decide whether or not Jinnah should go to heaven or go elsewhere. Mm. But they can't decide that because they've lost. They've the lost his file, so he has to take him back. He has to take this uh, uh, this sort of mythical this I don't know what he is really. Uh, sort of the, the I don't know what the bloke is. administrator like, of the yeah, afterlife, he's like an administrative angel. Uh, yeah, um, this angel figure back through his life, and that's how we see these episodes of his life. And what he what Jinnah sees as the defining moment of his of his life is this successful partition of Pakistan from India to to create a safe place for Muslims to live. Because uh, uh, they were persecuted by the Hindu population of India. One thing that I love about the film is this idea of they, it's like an almost Bruce Almighty meeting of him going into the afterlife and then, as I said, Ebenezer Scrooge esque going through these defining moments. I love the fact that even though this angel character is taking him there, Jinnah is still in almost full control. Like, he doesn't secede anything. Like, you would think the way that he wanders around and proudly marches around these memories, yes. you would think he was the one in charge and he was the angel showing the other guy. I just love the idea that Christopher Lee brings even to Jinnah's soul. Yeah. Like, uh, that it goes, it transcends beyond skin deep, the role. Like, even his soul is this curmudgeonly old bastard. He doesn't take any nonsense. No, um, absolutely not. And he's very, I mean, there's some wonderful bits where he, I think, like, the, the angel asks him, whether or not a certain character should take the majority of the blame for, for some of the awful events that happens. And, and the angel is obviously trying to get Jinnah to take some responsibility, and he says he's guilty as much as, much as he was involved, essentially saying, but yes, he's definitely the one to blame. <laughs> I'm not going to accept any response. You know, I'm not going to uh, back down here. I was right, even in death, a stubborn character, but an, an incredibly important character. And, and, and a role, I think, that stands out from anything else that we've seen Christopher Lee And certainly what we're do. going to be discussing today. And certainly, what we're, uh, certainly of the four roles we're discussing, very, very different. The other thing about Jinnah is that I think it really benefits from when Christopher Lee is on screen. When he's removed from proceedings, they do this whole part about when they go into his past and another actor takes on the role of the young Jinnah, as it were. And he just... And I feel sorry for the guy because he just can't keep up with Sir Christopher Lee's portrayal. And and bless him, he tries. It ends up being kind of a bit of a poor impression or a bit of a diet impression of what Lee's doing. And it never suffers more than when they put older Jinnah and younger Jinnah. They debate. Yeah, they debate. It's a wonderful wonderful scene. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very hard, I think, to keep up with Christopher Lee. You can see the vein pulsating on the other guy's (laughs) poor head. Uh, What have I got myself into? It's just the voice. It, again, Lee's voice carries through, and when he's doing all of these important speeches, and they they're fantastically directed and performed, but his voice just carries to the end of the whole. Is, the Hindus and Muslims of Pakistan. It's like he was an opera singer, and you can tell even yes. in his recital of these great political speeches. Wonderful, just wonderful. Mm. But the film suffers from. I think that when Lee isn't on screen, it begins to yes. feel noticeably, there are noticeable troughs in that part. 
I think Lee can even turn some of the early lumpy exposition where Jinnah is speaking to his sister in the back of a cab and it's basically like a news report for 60 seconds. Yes, it's like, yeah. bong, trouble in, in India, and uh, <laughs> bong, protests in Mumbai. But he makes it work. And yet it sounds as if he's reciting Shakespeare. Like, <laughs> I wish he'd have done that. Like, you know, don't worry about Trevor MacDonald. Yes. But, I mean, and also, really nice to see Christopher Lee carrying a film. And a different film. And a different film. You know, he is the lead role, he is the title role. He's not playing a villain. He isn't a vampire, and he's not an evil wizard, and he's not voicing these sort of odd Tim Burton characters. He is... It's, in, it's, entirely, it's entirely unique. And fierce. Instead of theatrical, it's fierce, a fierce portrayal. Like my, I was speaking mm. to Dan before, my favourite scene in it, which I think is just as relevant today. Yes. Like, with all that's going on in the news, with ISIS and the, and the rise of all of that going on, the fanaticism, there is a re- very stark and raw scene where Jinnah chastises one of these young extremists. Mm. He's like, you ignorant fool. What Islam needs is not fanaticism. It needs men of vision. Yes. And the hairs... It is a very that was an incredibly sobering scene to watch, considering all that's been happening recently. Uh, yeah, and I think if anyone wants a, maybe a, another sort of perspective on Islam and understanding of Islam, watch this film Absolutely. about the creation of Pakistan. Yeah, and to sum up, I would say it might take you a bit of a dig. It might take you, you might have to go out of your, your local area to find the film, but please watch it. I'm, I feel better having seen it. I feel like I've seen another version of the great man and the great actor. Mm. And... I'm sad that it's not more widely available and not more widely seen. Absolutely. I give it four bob. Same here. You live well, Scaramanga. As a million dollars a contract, I can afford to, Mr. Bond. You work for peanuts. A hearty well done from Her Majesty the Queen and a pittance of a pension. Apart from that, we are the same. To us, Mr. Bond, we are the best. And now on to his step into the canon of James Bond. The man with the golden gun. Yes, Francisco Scaramanga. <laughs> Probably the best name ever in James Bond. Like, that's is just fantastic. It is. And what of it? He's so smooth <laughs> as, this, as this guy. He's I not mean... just like cigar smoke, isn't he? Scaramanga. <laughs> yeah. Cigar smoke going over silk. Yeah, with his with his third nipple and his and his gun made out of like a cigarette lighter and a pen or whatever it is. I mean, surely one of the best villains. I think he's Bond certainly villains. one of the best Bond villains, and I think it comes down from the man with the golden gun having a great idea and the great idea evolving into great casting, yes. which is to find Bond's ultimate match, someone who's sophisticated, who's suave, mm. who's one of the best hitmen killers in the world and to put them head to head great idea i mean it's great there's some great on screen there's some great chemistry between sir, sir roger moore and and sir christopher lee in this film and and yeah, I, and he, I think sir christopher lee runs rings around more i mean he does i think he does steal the film and i mean once again he uh, he is I mean, he's the titular role isn't yeah, he, the, he, is, he the is the man with the golden gun. gun an interesting bit of trivia which you may already know is that obviously um, christopher lee was in fleming's step cousin i didn't know that I did and, not know that. And when they were beginning to make Doctor No, Fleming went to Christopher and said, oh, I think you'd be great for this role. I want you to play this villain, Doctor No, in this, in this film of my, if my, of my little book they're making. Um, that and and he been... obviously did not get Doctor No, but then, you know, would, would, what, 12 years later, be cast as Scaramanga. I think Fleming had passed on by that point, I'm not sure. I have very fond memories of this film that unfortunately have been burnt away by my most recent screening. Oh, no. Uh, all I remember is Christopher Lee, and to be honest with you, that's all I want to remember from The Man with the Golden Gun. I actually think it's a terrible Bond film overall, apart from when he's in it. And, I know, <laughs> and I'm not saying that to be sick 
romantic. And I'm not saying that because this is our eulogy of sorts of Christopher Lee. I actually think the film in, in itself is a dreadful film and really, really suffers, like Jinnah, when Sir Christopher Lee's not on. I don't like Roger Moore's Bond anyway. And I think that this film encapsulates the worst excesses of Moore's Bond. He seems to amble it's, from one sexual I mean, assault to another. I mean, how it's, old was he by this point? He was, I don't know. He was, he was an old... Much, Pushing 60. Right? Yeah, it was, <laughs> no. it was a much older boy. I think he throws his back out in one sequence. But it just seems like whenever the man with the golden gun isn't on screen, it's very ham-fisted. The, a lot of the fight scenes are dreadfully filmed and directed. Like, editing is poor and... It's only when Sir Christopher Lee comes in, and you forget how bad the film is yes. when he's in it. Is it not? We're we not perhaps discovering here the Christopher Lee effect. Possibly on films. He just elevates films. Yeah. Like, well, although from the get go, the very first scene that you see, which I think is quite strange, that you don't see Bond at all. In fact, you don't see Bond for ages. The mm. first time you see Bond in this film is a waxwork that Sir Christopher Lee shoots the fingers off of. Yes. Which I, I don't know if that was scripted. <laughs> or Lee, I don't know if that was filmed last, and that was just the like, I'll take that. Yeah. But uh, there's this almost like kind of LSD nightmare of a beginning where you're introduced to Scaramanga and his approach to killing, mm. essentially. He likes to fly people in who are no notable hitmen or yes. killers yeah. and essentially face off with them to prove yeah. he's the ultimate killer. Odd sort of Hunger Games type. Yeah, he's the Captain Severdeen of yeah. seven. Is, I don't know where that is, but whatever, <laughs> that little island. Um, and uh, yeah, then they go into this kind of assault course of sorts, don't they? I don't know if he embeds his gun in there. He tries to put himself at a disadvantage so he can prove his worth. Yes, yes. He's a, I mean, he's a very arrogant, very arrogant man. He's Dracula-esque from the beginning, isn't he? You know, he lives on his own island. <laughs> he essentially feasts off the blood of his kill. <laughs> I think he doesn't see his first line until about seven minutes in. And I think that's very knowing uh, Sir Christopher Lee's strength and something that we'll speak about when in, in our ne uh, next and final film that you don't need to worry on, he didn't rely on the laurels of his wonderful voice like you can go seven minutes you're watching him in mm. almost every frame of those seven minutes doesn't have to utter a word and that's perfect like that is perfect particularly yes. for... I mean he's a terrifying villain I think um, and as you say as you said earlier a real match for Bond uh, and I think I'll concede yes it perhaps isn't the best Bond but I think any—I mean, we've been spoiled in recent years. I've put here in my notes that Scaramanga is more slick than greasy, and <laughs> yes. he's more like oil than like chip fat, greasy villain. You know, like, as you said, cigar smoker yeah. Sigourk is the perfect. He's mm. sophisticated. He's intellectual. I, mean, I, I believe he's. It's a very different portrayal than, than the Scaramanga in the books. Absolutely, it is. But it, but it works. It is, it, it is, the role is better for it. And he does it. He's very vampiric in that he seems to enjoy killing so much. Yes. Like, he gets $1 million a hit, but you're, he's the kind of villain that you think would kill for free. Like, he would do it just for the sheer <laughs> just, yeah, It's it. a hobby now. That's one yeah. line he says, isn't it? He goes, you like killing, or you love killing as much as I do, or I love, I love killing. Yeah. Like, he's very open with it. I, I think that whereas some villains, like Dr. No, for example, hide in the shadows, Scaramanga and Lee Scaramanga wants to be in the limelight and wants everyone to know his name and what he does. That's right, it's the arrogance. Guys. It's the arrogance, yeah. and I think that that's encapsulated in no other time better than when he flies that car out of that garage and not even a flicker of knowingness appears yeah. on his face. He's like, yeah, this is what I am, this is what I do. And every character looks as if 
it wasn't in the script and they had no idea that Sir Christopher Lee was going to bowl this car around the corner <laughs> with the wings of the a 747. He's just so funny. I think it's a shame that he meets his demise. I would have quite happily have... I'd have loved to have seen him back it, in yeah, every back film. Again. I'd have lovingly seen him kill Bond in Bond. <laughs> Especially Moore's Bond. Especially Moore's Bond, because I think everything other than Sir Christopher Lee is awful. Like, it's full of the dreadful jokes that Moore's Bond kind of has been known for now. The, the Christmas cracker jokes with with just a hint of misogyny in them. Just a hint. Just a hint. <laughs> I'd say a dollop. A, a good dollop of there. And everything else, like, as I said, Sir Roger Moore, again, yeah. the, the other night, the, the Dark Knight. Man of the Golden Gun. It is, of course, it's the one where he has one woman in his hotel room. And then another one turns up, so he hides the he first hides one, one in, the wardrobe. In, in his wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> Has his way with the second one. Yeah, and, and then, then goes expects back. more from yeah. the other one. And then eventually goes back to the one, and she's been hiding in the wardrobe the entire time. Yeah. Ex- wonderful. What a wonderful film. And that's what I'm saying, is that the film <laughs> degrades itself very much in that way. And yet... Yes. But as I say, like this nonchalant, like the arrogance, that, as I said, it, it suffers from these dreadful sequences as well. Like another really poor car sequence is where Moore drives his car over the bridge and it kind of pirouettes oh, yes, in it, midair. Yes, the, and the, that again, the corkscrew. Looks, it, it looks like it's not even got an engine in it. It looks like someone's pushed it off this bridge. There's the dreadful racist American character who seems to have gone to colonialise <laughs> Vietnam, wherever they are. He comes back as a he, different J.W. character. J.W. He comes back as in, in Brosnan's Bond, doesn't he? Mm. So you have him, you've got a knick-knack, just, a, just an awful kind of... It's beat. very much of its time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think he, they try and bring it down a, a comedy route and it blows up in their face. And thank God Sir Christopher Lee was in it to salvage it. I think it would just been a complete write-off otherwise. And I think even d- the director, I think, was it Guy Hamilton directed it, perhaps? Yeah, I think so. I, I think he even realises that when they just make the final half an hour a complete Sir Christopher Lee showcase. They abandon the jokes. They abandon more. And with good cause. And with good cause. So, unfortunately, in summary, I can't give it more than the two Bob, but both of those Bobs go to Sir Christopher Lee. <laughs> I think I... <laughs> I agree with you on that. It, maybe it's, it's it's probably the, not the best film on our list of four, but it's still one of his iconic roles and one he'll be remembered for. It's certainly. God bless you, Scaramanga. <laughs> <laughs> May you lord over Valhalla for the rest of your golden days. I am Dracula and I welcome you to my house. I must apologise for not being here to greet you personally, but I trust that you have found everything you needed. And now the granddaddy of them all, Dan. Yes. Where else could we finish a Sir Christopher Lee retrospective? I like to think maybe we had them worried that we weren't going to do this one. And so now we're going to be doing Tim Burton's... <laughs> Dark Shadows. Yeah, Where's that the fisherman one? Yeah. yeah, the one where he does like a minute and a half. Now we're doing end. perhaps his best role as Count Dooku yeah. in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> and the seven minutes. Well, actually, talking about the Christopher Lee effect, there's a good example. Mm. He doesn't turn up until about 70 minutes into it. And then it's good. And then he's seven minutes in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And I think that that is why it's remembered as... I left after that. <laughs> <laughs> And rightly so. <laughs> but anyway, no, of course, we're going to do Dracula. Of course. 1958's Hammer Horror Film. One of the earlier examples of the wonderful collaborative efforts of Peter Cushing and, and Christopher Lee. Sort of, you know, the, the, the dark knights of horror. <laughs> yeah, course, yeah. Dracula, though, the titular villain. Uh, I, although this is the horror of Dracula in some other places. It's, in America, it's called the horror of Dracula to... To differentiate. To, to differentiate between this and, I think, Bela Lugosi's 1930s. But over here, it was just Dracula. But the most iconic Dracula of all time. Both yes. probably the he, film and certainly... He went on to play Dracula for Hammer another six times, I think. As many as that. And wow. increasingly got more and more... 
disillusioned with the role to the point where they were literally blackmailing him. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, he didn't want to do it. He got, he got so fed up with Dracula. But he will always be, I think, best remembered for playing Dracula. And I think he, from what I've read in his autobiography and from interviews and stuff, he hates that. Yeah, it just <laughs> you know, becomes he, a staple. It became, you know, became this sort of millstone around his neck. Well, I was going to say, I think that in many ways it must have been a, both a gift and a curse in that it made him famous. Yeah. But then at what cost? Because I know that the scourge of any actor is to get typecast. I think it's actually credit to him and just his genius as a performer, that he managed to escape the shackles because it's brilliant as well. And I know that every film we've managed to say those those words, but what a performance of Dracula. He has 13 lines in this film. Yeah, um, and he only and ever rest... speaks to one character, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, he does. He only actually ever has a conversation with one character. Um, the rest of it is all silent glares, glares and, and sinister staring and hissing. And I mean, in, in later films... he. I think in the second film, the sequel to this where he played Dracula again, he didn't have any lines. And there's some debate as to... He claims that he refused to say the lines because they were so (laughs) god-awful. Whereas the scriptwriter claims he never wrote any lines for him in the first place. The the war rages on, Dan. (laughs) Yes, quite, quite. And in the later sequels, he was always trying to get in some more of Bram Stoker's wonderful dialogue and they let, didn't let him. Oh, really? <laughs> like he, I think he said he got reduced... He, was he reduced, loves his literature. He was reduced to sneaking it in. <laughs> they wouldn't... They That's wouldn't. good ad-libbing. Yep. Yep. All we'll ad-lib. Um, but yes, but 1958's Dracula. This was a change in tone for the character of Dracula. I mean, up until that point, Bela Lugosi was most famous for portraying him. And obviously we had Nosferatu as well. There's earlier silent films where he's this very... You know, he's this demonic creature. Yeah, and Bela Lugosi is this very old... If people aren't familiar with Bela Lugosi listening to this, I mean, it's essentially the Count from Sesame Street. I think That's he's, the image I think he's the, the Count from Sesame Street with Gomez from the Addams Family. Yes. Like a kind of crossbreed of them yeah, two, isn't yeah. he? He's exactly um, what he looks like. And he's much more campy isn't he? A much more campy yes, Dracula. But, and Hammer and, and Lee, essentially, they sex Dracula up. It's an erotic film. Yeah. Very erotic. <laughs> and and he's, a, a, he's a very sexy lead, I think, Dracula. Oh, yeah, handsome man. A very handsome man. Yeah, handsome. And, like, non, I don't think he's ever as handsome as he is in Dracula. And I think he is very erotically charged. I think he brings sex to But that film. is what, I think, that is what, I mean, that's an allegory of vampirism that's been going for decades. <laughs> since Bram Stoker. But since Bram Stoker. But that's how Stoker wrote it. He wasn't this campy... Barn! <laughs> yes, yes. Ooh. Listen yeah. to the sounds of the night. It wasn't that. It was... It, Christopher Lee's... Is a, and I think he probably knew that more than anyone involved well, in the Well, he was an English literature genius as well, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, I mean, he probably met Bram Stoker. Right? <laughs> yeah. No. But this Dracula, Lee's Dracula, changed Dracula and how mm. Dracula is portrayed on screen. But he's just not um, camp. It's, it's brooding... Uh, I've put here is terrifying. He's handsome. It's pure sexual fury. Uh, after he's drained the initial guy's blood and killed him, and he becomes obsessed because he sees the picture of the, the guy's girlfriend, doesn't he? Mm. And he goes and hunts her down. Yes. And there's that whole sequence where she got ill because she's basically his aperitif, isn't it? And they're like, yeah. oh, she's so ill. Oh, there's, only, there's two yeah. puncture wounds on her yeah. neck. She's as white as a newborn yeah. fish. What could be? What could be wrong? <laughs> yeah. And all they do is Michael Goff, who probably oh, most yes, listeners will be yeah, known yeah. as as um, Michael Keaton, George Clooney, and Val Kilmer's stoic, oh, he's Alfred. He's faithful the, Alfred. He's one of the famous Alfreds. Yeah, um, the famous Alfred, the famous. and the best Alfred, in my opinion, And, an, as and well. another actor, along with Christopher Lee, who acted well into his 90s and didn't really let up until he passed away. Yeah, uh, a great character actor four, as well. five years ago now. Yeah, again, we um, featured him on, he was, on the he, podcast. Yeah. His sister is being drained by Dracula, yeah. and there's and this whole sequence. And they're none the wiser. And they're none the wiser, yeah, idiots. That's all quite Scooby-Doo-esque, though, isn't it? 
that I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling, Alfred. But with the sequence that with his sister, where uh, it's like the second time she's been drained, and again, completely silent, they tuck her into bed. Yeah. She then presents herself in this kind of like 50s lingerie, doesn't she? <laughs> she opens the window, yes. and then she presents herself. Yeah, yeah, she lies in waiting for She him, lies in waiting. And you know, Lee appears. In uh, an incredibly sexualised way, in, and it's very erotic for its time. Like, for 58, I was blushing. I won't lie down. You know, a little bit of ankle showing. <laughs> you know, people probably, yeah. People of, must have uh, left you know, in... Scandalised by this... It, this it's a scandalous this film. Yeah. And a great film, though. And I think that's what we should say, is that it isn't just of its time. I had an absolute ball watching this. It's so enjoyable. I mean, you see, it, it's been it's been lampooned so often now and people have paid homage to it and so on. Being able to watch original Hammer Horror, Dracula, you can see where it all began. You can see why they're so iconic mm. and why people love them so much and why they terrified people and why they scandalised people at the time and why these actors were so revered for... I mean, you know, this... It's proper actors, isn't it? Because yeah. horror has been mugged in recent... Well, I say in recent times, mm. probably really since we had, like, the slasher boom and it's gone then, that's kind of mutated into these awful torture porn and found footage twins... You know, like, basically yes, the yeah. Shining Twins in cinema. But I think th- this is proper horror as far as I'm concerned. Like, proper thespians really duking it out, like, yeah. in this immense and darkness. Everyone's so delightfully British, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> like, Michael Goff's character is such a gentleman. Even yeah. when he's in face with the Prince of Darkness, someone who feasts on the living <laughs> to remain alive, he's still like, oh... Close that curtain yes, up, will you, dear? Sick. Yeah, like, but I think anyone for a cup of tea. Say, I think at one point he tries to cure vampirism with a cup of tetlis, <laughs> and that's why I like is, but it kind of stays on that the proper side of. Yeah campness and knowingness yes. rather than descending into parody i was having a conversation with someone very recently now that terminator genesis has come out and he said he's he's always hated the terminator films he even hates the first two and i said why and he said because it's been done to death and he never watched it w- w- when it came out and oh, he never had the joy of when it when yeah, it came yeah, out yeah. obviously we never had the joy of dracula i think it's so good that it still can kind of put two fingers up at the parodies and the homages and the pastiches that have subsequently come out. Yeah. And again, it's because of how good Christopher Lee is and it's that commitment to the role. I think that they could have changed nothing but the casting of him and the film would have been a failure because it's so close to the mark of being silly that takes a very skilled actor to be able to play it completely straight and enjoy it. Yeah, they do. It's a fine line and they tow it well, I think. Because even from the outset, you've got that booming, foreboding music where it's showing the cliffside of his mansion. Yes, of the castle. Yeah, and then you've got that awful, like, tomato ketchup dripping sequence over his grave. It's just red paint, I think. It's just, just, yeah, like, it looks exactly, it just looks like Dulux red paint. The Bride of Dracula is like a 50s porn star, essentially. So, again, it it shouldn't have worked. How it did... I think we owe to Sir Christopher Lee, absolutely. And I think also to Cushing. Lee played Frankenstein's monster in The Curse of Frankenstein a few years before yeah. to uh, opposite Peter Cushing's Victor Frankenstein. But this really but this really marked a proper, you know, and an ongoing professional and indeed personal relationship between the two. They were very, very dear friends. Mm. And also, and by, by all accounts, I mean, I've never met them, <laughs> sadly, but by no. all accounts, incredibly friendly, nice, warm, gentle people known publicly as these you know, monsters. monsters and anti-heroes. I just think but, the fact that if you cast Sir Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Michael Goff and Trigger's dad... Charles yes, Charles Lloyd Pack. Pack yeah. You've got a winning formula there, Dan, and one that has stood the test of time for 57 years. Yes. So do look it up. If you haven't seen it already, if you don't have a version... Apparently um, the definitive version to get 
as of from Sir Christopher Lee himself, is the most recent Blu-ray because it features the original death sequence from an old Japanese print that they found years later. So if you can go and find that, that should be readily available, the Blu-ray remastering. I'm going to give it five Bob Dan. So am I. I think it's a brilliant film. It's just perfect. I'd watch it again and again. Again and again. Housekeeping then, Dan. We don't have a jingle for that. No, we never have and we never will. So this was the second in our summer summer specials. A kind of shorter version because it was just a... It was yeah. an essay of sorts I mean, that we wanted to compile, wasn't it? Yes, a, a verbal essay. Apologies to anyone who thought it was perhaps too much of a love-in for Christopher Lee, but I think you had to understand for... For film lovers such as you and I, I mean, he had such a a colossal impact, a, a colossal impact on our. Pre- my, I can't, I don't, I can't speak for you, but for me at least, a colossal impact on on my knowledge and appreciation of the world of film. And he introduced me to so many different genres and directors and characters that I'm not ashamed to hold him in such high regard. And I know I'm not alone in those feelings. And I agree. And I think for me as well, it's not just that idea that you've mentioned there. I think it's very important in terms of our broadcasting partnership, because we've spoken about him so much. Uh, For people who who listened uh, or didn't listen rather to our initial radio show, we used to feature Sir Christopher Lee quite often there. Little projects he was doing when he got his BAFTA fellowship, we made sure that we gave Mm. that. We aired the entire speech, I remember as well. So he's been very important in terms of Dan and I's partnership. But also I think that more so than just his cinematic career, what a decent human he was as well. I think people have such a fond memories of him. And as you said, this gentle, very wise, very intellectual, but kind man. A man who seemingly wasn't involved in the Hollywood scandals and rubbish that we hear now, where it's just like the like gutter press. Just a, just a good man who loved his job and loved his life and loved his work. And I think that's how we should remember him. Yes, may he rest in peace. Goodbye, Sir Christopher, and thank you very much indeed. I'm sure this will not be the last time he's mentioned. Certainly not, no. Talking of the podcast, though, Dan, moving on to the business end of our broadcasting now. Of course. We have got the Mission Impossible special coming up next month, haven't we? That will be our August special. the August special is is the Mission Impossible. I mean, look back at all of the Mission Impossible films. I think that's going to be a Mission Impossible in itself to cram five films into the traditional hour. But, God... Damn it, we'll try. We'll try, we'll try. We'll fail, but we'll try. Uh, we're going to have two all-wav guests on, Dan, as yes. well, which yes. you'll have to tune in to find out more from. We've got lots of content going on at the site, www.oneroomwithaview.com. I think we're in our like third or fourth. Our site is very much like the Iron Man armour. Like, every time I log in, it <laughs> yes, seems to look different. All, all have Mark IV now, I yeah. think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 43, I think, <laughs> I'll find. There's always tinkering going on, and there's such a strong support of, of the team now that we've got features coming out all the time. I believe our first annual, no, second annual it would be now, um, top moments of films so far in the year is coming out imminently. I have peruse the list there's some great moments on there Dan that you and I have covered but mo- much more so as well yes from all the brilliant writers that work on the team work, work on the site yeah I mean the site's been good and if you if you do want to go and read my tribute to Christopher Lee that went up last month shortly after he died uh, that's still there obviously yeah. do take a look at that and I know this will sound like nepotism but it is truly a beautiful <laughs> and personal read I'd implore you I'd implore you to read it listeners we are also talking of nepotism we're on iTunes if you're listening now and SoundCloud if you're listening now but if you want to take us on mobile you can download us from itunes or if you just want to sit and listen in the background like a radio show we're on soundcloud and i want to just take this time actually if you're listening to 
either of those formats. Thank you so much. Like the last few months, we've had such a good reaction to the podcast. Yeah, so many new listeners, it seems, or so many more listeners. So and... welcome, truly welcome. And we hope that you stay with us over the over the coming months. We've already started planning our third season, which will come out in October time, Dan, won't it? Yeah. yeah. We're, uh, our next, se- uh, next episode will be the last of the season. We're going to take a break in September and come back in October. Uh, during that time, if you'd like to contribute anything, throw some ideas, throw some suggestions to us. We still have our challenge, Chris Challenge, Dan, for... Uh, format going we are podcast at one room with a view.com similarly you can follow the site at one room with a view on twitter that's numerical one i'm at the preston night dan is mr alton m-i-s-t-e-r anything else that we need to dan no, no i don't think so i think, I that's, think that's, it. that's it i think that's it for one more one more month enjoy the summer enjoy the heat and we will see you for mission impossible next month cheerio